So a number of weeks ago, we did our Easter series called It's Personal. The whole idea there is, is that we would really identify, well, on a personal level with the things that were having happening around Easter. So whether it be the triumphal entry of Jesus, whether it be the crucifixion, right? Like the Good Friday thing, or, or whether it be the resurrection of Jesus, these are all things that we wanted to be able to personally identify with. In that series, we understood that part of that whole Easter narrative is the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. And so today, we're going to kind of jump back in time over to that series and talk about the Holy Spirit because today, or this week, whenever you're taking this in, we're talking about Pentecost. And Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit arrives when you read Acts chapter um well, you, you start reading through Acts and you start seeing what's going on with the church and stuff. But Acts chapter 2 is where we see the Holy Spirit descend on the apostles. And so in talking about the Holy Spirit, let's turn with our Bibles to John chapter 14. I'm going to be reading verses 15 to 17. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. And we're going to be using a whole lot more scripture in here today. And I have to tell you, there's an awful lot of stuff that we could study about the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to do an exhaustive study on the Holy Spirit right now because, well, we would be here a very long time. Um, so John chapter 14, verse 15 to 17. Here's what it says. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. That's pretty cool. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your Word here and as we're understanding a couple of key things here about the Holy Spirit, uh, Lord God, that we would have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so there's a lot of misunderstandings, I think, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. There are some people, believe it or not, there are some people who would say that the Holy Spirit is an it. Uh, others think that the Holy Spirit is this impersonal being or just this force, kind of like Star Wars. None of those things are actually true. The Holy Spirit is referred to in the Bible as a he. There's personal pronouns attached to the Holy Bible. There's emotion attached to the, Holy, to the Holy Spirit. And so then when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it is really critically important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a third person of the Trinity, uh, distinct personalities, and, and, and even in terms of uh, activity, it's distinct. And so, in the same way that God the Father and God the Son are distinct within the Godhead, the Holy Spirit comes along and, and is part of that. So, the Holy Spirit is actually referenced throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. Specifically, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, many of us have read that over the years. Um, but I'm not sure that all of us have associated that language, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, uh, that we would have associated that with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly the referencing here. The Holy Spirit existed before the earth was formed. And that really should kind of blow our minds a little bit. For many of us, we only relate to the Holy Spirit uh, or relate to the Holy Spirit with the New Testament, right? Because that's where we mostly hear that language. 
but as part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit has always existed. In John 14, 16 and 17, and we read verse 15 here, but he says, I will ask, and this is Jesus talking, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor or advocate. Um, there are a few interchangeable words here. To be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. These are those personal pronouns that are attached to Holy Spirit. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus' statement in verse 16 about the Father sending another counselor, this is the word uh, parakletos or parakletos. It's an intriguing one because it implies that the disciples already have a paraclete with them. The idea of one who comes alongside, the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the comforter, the, you know, there's, there's language that paraclete gets translated into. So there's this already a paraclete that's there to help them, and the Holy Spirit is another paraclete in addition to that. Jesus is saying that at present, he's their paraclete. He is the one who walks alongside. He is the one who comforts, who guides, and he is the one who is serving in this role. The one that the Father sent to keep them. And then in verse 17, first part of verse 17, Jesus tells the disciples that they, unlike the world, are already familiar with this paraclete. For he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus seems to be saying that in his own person, they've experienced the paraclete living with them or abiding with them or at their side. But when the Father sends the Holy Spirit, this paraclete will be in this future tense within them. Right? So Jesus is with them. Holy Spirit will be in them. And, and, and those are important distinctions. Jesus has been their paraclete, their helper, friend up until now, but the Holy Spirit will replace Jesus as an interior presence, always with them to guide and to instruct. So those, that's just some very basic truths about Holy Spirit. And I, I, I grew up uh, in my Christianity referring to Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, as if, as if Holy Spirit is some um, object in a way. You know, like saying the Holy Spirit, I guess it wouldn't really be that different than saying the Lord. Um, but it just feels different, right? Like Jesus has a name and it feels like God has a name and that is God, right? So Holy Spirit, I think is important for us to refer to as, as a, some type of personhood to that. So what we're gonna focus on then for the remainder of our time together, is just two key areas of the work of Holy Spirit in our lives, um, because these are two key areas that haven't been given a lot of attention within our Christian walks. Often I hear people, when they refer to Holy Spirit, they're referring to the miraculous workings, they're referring to the giftings, they refer to the fruit of the Spirit. And these are all great things, but there's some other things then that come, um, that come along with that that are important for us to focus on and not neglect. So one of those things would be this, that the paraclete or the helper, the comforter, the counselor is a teacher. In John chapter 14, verse 25 to 26, it says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so these two verses, Jesus reveals several things about the paraclete. And again, paraclete is that 
term that's used here for Holy Spirit counselor, uh, advocate. The paraclete is sent by the Father in the name of Jesus. This is important. In my name may suggest that the Spirit is, to some extent, this emissary of the Godhead. And so he's doing this in the name of Jesus. The paraclete refers specifically to the Holy Spirit, and it makes that this verse makes that explicit, right? It's the idea that, and, and here's the other interesting thing about it. This is another Trinitarian passage. So think about it this way. All this I've spoken to you while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, right? So that's Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Look at that. Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus. It's a Trinitarian passage. And that's explicit within this particular passage. And so what we learn here is that this paraclete will teach the disciple things and will remind the disciples of the things that Jesus taught. And so we probably shouldn't separate reminding and teaching as two separate functions, um, but reminding of the teaching function, right? And so it's the idea here of Jesus teaches them, the Holy Spirit is going to remind them of that teaching, but the Holy Spirit is also going to teach them things. Jesus has been the disciples' rabbi and teacher, and now the Holy Spirit will take over in that function. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will help them to remember so that they can understand and interpret correctly for the church the things of God. But in addition to that, Holy Spirit is going to He's going to guide them into writing of the letters, writing of the Gospels, so that we can have the inspired Word of God in our hands. And what Jesus had taught them um, will be, it will be necessary for them to be able to properly interpret and, and teach that to their disciples. And soon they're going to be assessing Jesus' words in light of the crucifixion, His resurrection, and His ascension. So what they're hearing right now at this point in John 17, or John 14, is, is going to be further understood and explained and experienced as they experience the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So the Holy Spirit will teach and guide, will, re, will remind us of the teachings of Jesus. But not only that, there's, there is this piece here that I'm not confident we give enough attention to. And that's the idea that, that the paraclete, Holy Spirit, comforter, guide, advocate, will convict the world of sin. And so, so far, Jesus had told his disciples how the paraclete, Holy Spirit, will benefit them, but now he's also explaining how the Holy Spirit's going to affect the world. In John chapter 16, verse 8, he says, When he comes, right? So Jesus talking about Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the role of the Holy Spirit convicting sinners, well, it's, it's pretty clear. And, and they're to convict of guilt, according to NIV. In the ESV, it's just simply convict. In the NG, New King James Version, it says to prove wrong, uh, to convince in the RS, NRSV. RSV says to reprove. And the, this whole idea of this definition of this word, and the reason that you can have slight deviations in the definition of the word is because we don't have a, a complete appropriate English word for it. But we're just trying to describe this elencho word. It's a verb. And it's to bring a person to the point of recognizing wrongdoing. So to convict, convince someone of something, point something out to someone. 
And it's a word that occurs 18 times in the New Testament. And in each instance, it has to do with showing someone their sin and usually as a summons to repentance, right? And so what Holy Spirit will do is, is bring somebody to the point of understanding their sin in order to bring them to the place of repentance. That's, that's what's taking place here. So the Holy Spirit is at work in the salvation of every single person through what theologians call the uh, prevenient grace. This is the idea that God is active in grace towards everybody in the world in order to draw them to himself. Um, And this is prior to salvation. To be convicted is to feel the sheer awfulness of sin. And it happens when we've seen God's beauty, his purity, his holiness, and we recognize that sin just can't dwell with him. That's Psalm chapter 5, verse 4. When Isaiah, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, wrote immensely amazing things in the Old Testament. Um, but he writes, and when he's standing in front of the throne of God in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And it's this idea that when we experience the glory of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God, all of a sudden our measurement of ourselves, the the measuring stick we use is Him, not other people. And when it's Him, we, we recognize that we're people of unclean lips. We recognize that that we're like in this space of like, I'm not worthy to stand in his presence. I get to, but I'm not worthy of it. To be convicted is to experience that utter dreadfulness of sin. And our attitude towards sin becomes that of Joseph who fled temptation. Joseph, uh, if you remember, Joseph and the, and the many colored cloak is often uh, what's associated with him. Joseph is a guy who, he's in a gentleman's home by the name of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife makes a move on Joseph, and Joseph just bails, like he gets out of there. And on his way out, he's yelling out, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? So it's this idea of, I can't do this thing, because if I do this thing, I'm going to be sinning against God, so I can't do this great evil, i got to get out of here. That's the attitude we're to have towards sin. i got to get out of here i got to run from it. That's the notion here. And we are convicted when we become mindful of how much our sin dishonors God. When David, King David, is convicted by the Holy Spirit, he cries out, Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. That's Psalm 51, verse 4. David saw his sin primarily, in other words, firstly, as something that has to do with his relationship with God, God the Father. The Holy Spirit not only convicts people of sin, but He also brings people to repentance. I think that's an important thing because very often we, I I think we have this idea that God just wants to tell everybody that they're sinners. And that somehow that's supposed to be this wonderful thing that God does. But it's a half-truth. God reminds people of sin, there's no question. But he also draws them to repentance. You see, there's always a response to sin that God is looking for. Um, 
and, and, and that response to sin is that he wants us to move in his direction. So when we move in his direction, we respond appropriately. When we move away from God's direction, in other words, further away from God, then we're choosing the sin instead of choosing God, and God wants us to choose him. And so there is this acknowledgement of sin that God brings forward to us, and then there is a desire for repentance from us. The Holy Spirit brings to light our relationship with God, and then convic the convicting power of the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our sin, opens our hearts to receive His grace. This is what happens. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And, and so when we receive this gift of grace from God, we accept Jesus as Savior, Holy Spirit now lives in us. This is all the whole idea of, of Him being within us. And so He's within us, and then as being within us, what we read in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, in other words, since the Spirit is the one that gives us life, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So since the Spirit gives us life, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So here's what happens. Rob sins. Holy Spirit tells Rob, hey, you sinned. There's something wrong between your relationship and me now. Like, we got to fix this. You've sinned. we got to change this. we got to do something different here. we got to make this right in some way. And so he convicts me of that sin, and I'm reminded of it. And, and what happens often is that if I choose to reject that conviction that I get from the Lord, then we move into discipline. And in moving into discipline, this is where, where God says, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to give you over into this so that by experiencing this, you're going to turn around and come on back to me. It's like the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son's story is fascinating to me because the prodigal son starts in the father's house. And so in leaving, in leaving the father's house, he chooses sin, moves further and further towards it, and then at some point is convicted of the reality that the state that he is currently living in is worse than the state than some of the servants of his father's house. And so he decides to return to his father's house in hopes of becoming a servant to his father. And his father receives him. This is the grace. His father receives him and throws a big old party. You see, the discipline piece there was what he was experiencing as a result of his sinful decisions. And God handed him over to it. And then in handing him over to it, he realized just how brutal it was and came back. We have life by the Spirit, and so Galatians tell us to keep in step with the Spirit. Look, this is, this is enough for us to chew on for a while. What does it mean for us to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and to allow Him to teach us, to remind us, to guide us, to convict us, and to lead us to a place of repentance. I don't know a person alive that doesn't need to repent of something. I don't. When we choose to repent, we lean towards life. When we don't, well, then we, we move into going down and chasing after our sin and coming under discipline, and hopefully by that, we end up coming back to the Lord. Or we go further and further and further into that sin, and that's just a brutal way to live. My encouragement to you would be this. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit actually dwells within us, lives in us. 
And so the whole idea of Jesus saying, I will never leave you or forsake you, well, this is part of the promise. And so if the Holy Spirit is in us, there's something that should be done differently in terms of how we then live because we've become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are, we are exactly where He dwells here on earth and He's in us. And, and so because He's in us, it should require something of us in terms of towards Him. We do not live as, as the world lives. We have our minds transformed. We have our behaviors transformed. We are something new and so then we should function as something new. Holy Spirit gives us life. Let us keep in step with Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that, that this short message would be received in such a way that we would be a people that would evaluate our own lives, that we would look internally, that we would ask and seek you to expose to us the things in life that we need to get rid of, that we need to repent of, that we need to confess, and we need to move in a different direction from. Lord, if we're a people right now that are chasing sin and we're under forms of discipline and that we're being given over to that sin and the consequences of it, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be a people who will turn from those things, turn back towards you and receive that and continue to live in that life that the Holy Spirit gives us, that we will stay in step with you. In your name I pray. Amen.